Football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. Hey, what's up, Jordan? Long time no talk, man. It's uh, been, what, about a month since we've actually recorded one of these podcasts together. Uh, had to take a little bit of time off and tend to some family issues. Uh, truth be told, full disclosure, uh, my pops, Jim Leahy, uh, has been going through some health issues, was in the hospital for a while. Um, he is on the very slow and arduous road to recovery, but we are hoping that he is, in fact, going to continue making progress down that road to recovery. Uh, but uh, yeah, ran into some issues, uh, congestive heart failure, had to have a, a multitude of procedures performed. Uh, and things got pretty scary and, and pretty hairy for a while there. So uh, happy to report that that Pops is on the mend. And uh, just want to say thank you to Brian McInnes and Billy Hall, a couple of our really, really good media buddies and buddies in general uh, for filling in and, and co-hosting with you. You guys uh, put together a couple of really uh, strong podcast episodes. So I really felt like I wasn't needed and maybe didn't have to come back at all. But uh, I appreciate you letting me back in the mix, Jordan. Yes, yeah, they say your, your name's still on the sign outside. It's on, <laughs> it's on the, the marquee. So we, uh, we couldn't get rid of you that easy. No, it's, it's great to have you back. It's great to hear that Pops is, uh, you know, on the improvement. Uh, I was always crossing my fingers that like, you know, the, the Portuguese hardheadedness would have him back in action, you know, sooner rather than later. And, uh, Good, great, great news to hear. Big mahalos to, to Brian and Billy. And yeah, I, for one, am glad to have you back. Oh, well, thanks, man. Yeah, we should have wrote it on the sign in pencil. That would have been, made it easier just to erase and put somebody else's name there. And yeah, you know, I'm not trying to, uh, obviously, everyone has their issues that they're going through uh, throughout this very strange and unusual 2020, for sure. And uh, so, um, you know, for those who were kind of in the know, we didn't necessarily feel... Uh, like it was necessary to, to put it out there as far as what was going on with Pops. But, you know, for those in the know who, who showed and expressed their support, yourself included, Jordan, uh, also a big mahalo there. Yeah, Pops, is, uh, he's a stubborn dude, and he doesn't go out easy. He's kind of like the <laughs> Bruce Willis of uh, local sports casting legends. He just uh, – he's not going to go out like that. He's going to put up a fight at the very least. So, um, yeah, yeah, we hope that he continues to do so. Uh, speaking of putting up fights and, and redemption stories and really stories of survival, frankly, uh, our guest on the show today is Cameron Fernandez, who was a legend out of Lahaina Luna, two-time Maui Player of the Year, uh, and went on to play at Washington State as well as Alaska Anchorage. And very recently, in large part because of an article written by our friend Rob Colius of the Maui News, uh, has made public her story, her battle with depression and her challenges uh, on the front of mental health. And a lot of that stems from a collision that occurred on the basketball court her freshman year at Washington State. And really the injury that occurred from the concussion that led to a lot of those uh, mental health issues. And so she has talked very openly about how she was able to turn it around uh, from being in some very dark places, including uh, attempted suicide twice. 
Uh, so an experience that she's talking openly about, and I think uh, we can understand uh, in this day and age just how important it is to be willing to talk about something like that. And so she's on the show to, uh, to continue that narrative, and, and it's, uh, we really appreciate her doing so. Yeah, a big mahalo to her. Uh, Cameron's terrific. Uh, just an awesome, awesome person and, and arguably like the best basketball player that's really ever come out of Maui, uh, if not on the very short list. Like she was that good um, in her playing days and, and for her to speak out, right? A, a player of that stature uh, from Maui to, to share her story and, and, you know, helping other people, I think, along the way is is really, really commendable and, and really enjoyed our conversation with her. Yeah, we'll be playing that in a little bit, but per tradition, it's time to get to game time. And we will not see a winning season for the Rainbow Warrior football program. In this truncated version of a football season, uh, UH is now three and four on the year with one game left against UNLV uh, to close this 2020 campaign. But uh, this past weekend, UH got gashed by San Jose State 35-24. That was a game that was relocated to Honolulu due to COVID restrictions in Santa Clara County, featured a rare 1 p.m. start time in Halava. And it was another slow start for Hawaii, getting down 21-0 in the first quarter. Spartans had a slew of explosive plays on offense, including a 72-yard Tyler Nevins touchdown run in that opening frame uh has been outscored jordan 72 to 17 in first quarters this season as well as 118 to 61 in first halves now to the bows credit they ripped off 17 unanswered over the next two quarters but they couldn't complete the comeback so again three and four they got the game against unlv remaining the spartans are five and oh third straight opponent by the way that hawaii had to face that came into that game with an unblemished conference record and the first loss to the spartans in the last six meetings for the Rainbow Warriors. So let's talk first off about that loss and sort of where it leaves Hawaii. Three and four, it won't be a winning campaign, but this is the strangest of all years. And so it's, it's the most unpredictable of all years. How do you frame it, this loss, as well as where they are in, in the grander scheme of this eight game campaign? Yeah, I think the loss sort of exacerbated a lot of the frustrations, both within the program and I think for us as observers on the outside looking in, because it's sort of the same tale we've seen throughout the season, right? Dig a big hole, start slow, and then show some glimpses of what could be, of what this team is very much capable of. And, and we saw that again, down 21-0. Next thing you know, it's 21-17. You put yourself in position, but ultimately too big a hole to dig themselves out of. And so it's sort of reaffirmed, I think, what we've learned about this particular group. And and you're right, look, there, there are a lot of things that, that factored into this, right? New coaching staff that, that, that came on late in the off-season process, right? About as late a hire uh, during the turnover season, if you will, uh, with Todd Graham coming in. And then he basically had no opportunity um, to work with his guys, no spring practice, Summer truncated, the season was canceled, then it wasn't canceled, then they had to get after it, right? And, and they had games post, uh, you know, the start of camp, I should say, postponed by a couple of days, a couple of practices. So they, they've had a lot of things working against them, no doubt. But a lot of teams have had things working against them, that is for sure. Uh, you know, I thought a, a five and three season coming in to this eight game schedule would have been really successful. Uh, I think that would have been a really good thing to, to sort of springboard into a, a regular year, if you will, hopefully in 2021 with Todd Graham and his squad. He, he came in talking about, hey, look, they're, they're looking to win championships and, and, and maybe that's a, a multi-year process. If I had to 
said a number before the year. I think four and a half wins probably would have been the fair sort of win total. Uh, And they may finish right around that if they can beat winless UNLV this coming Saturday. And so, you know, if you finish four and four, particularly when you consider it just a strictly Mountain West Conference schedule, a little bittersweet taste in your mouth. No doubt about it. Uh, But the (laughs) the one positive I will say, if they do play this game on Saturday, fingers crossed, the fact that they would have played all eight games is something to just, uh, I I guess it's to be thankful for, right? And and the fact that you would actually see this team complete its full schedule when basically everybody else in the conference has had a game canceled at at this point of the season. So the team with the, the, the hardest geographical challenge would somehow be the only team. Just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that is 2020. So, yeah, the frustrations continue. You hope they maybe springboard into the offseason with a, a get-right game against winless UNLV. Um, but, again, if they, if they do get to an eighth game, that's something to, be, to remark in itself. That's absolutely right. I mean, I think there is a reason to look at that alone as an accomplishment uh, worthy of note, right, in this very strange Football season 2020 is is no joke, man. It is a beast. And so for Hawaii to have been able to get to the finish line, just in terms of the schedule, if they are able to do so, that's going to be an accomplishment uh, unto itself. That said, you know, I, I have a hard time judging sports in 2020, right? Especially in this college football year where there's so much inequity, right? I mean, San Jose State's only played five games. Hawaii has played seven. You see that across the nation, right? Look at Ohio State and uh, the decision that's going to have to be made about them going into the college football playoff and as few games as they have played. And so I find it hard to sort of cast judgment and thus it's hard to cast aspersions on teams uh, because it's just, it's, it's such a free-for-all type of endeavor, and the inconsistency of practices and when they've been able to hold team activities and players that have been in and out and uh, disruptions and change of locations for games. And yeah, it ended up being a home game for Hawaii, but still, I mean, you know, it's a disruption and in many ways sometimes can be a distraction. I'm not making excuses because I think I would, I would turn that around and say, okay, at the very least in a year like this, that's so hard to judge uh, the merit of a football team. I think the one thing you want to look for, whether you're playing a 13-game schedule or whether you're playing an eight or a five-game schedule, you just want to see if there is progress, right? Progress from week one, progress to the last week of the season, whatever number that may be. And I think the one thing we would say about this Hawaii team is there has been a lack of consistency. Obviously, their schedule was pretty tough in the last three weeks, right? Uh, That Nevada win was one of those very early kind of signature wins for Todd Graham. And I think that's something to be proud of. Uh, But then there were certain things where it looked like they maybe took steps back defensively against San Jose State. Offensively, I don't think they even completed a pass in that first quarter against the Spartans. And so there were just kind of those moments. I think that the the issue of them not being able to start games well and continually finding themselves in a hole in football games week after week, you know, that's an issue. That's something that has to be addressed. Now, uh, this is one of those years where if everybody wants to, they can come back next year. And so it sets it up to be, okay, uh, next year will be a much more valid and accurate depiction of the kind of football program that Todd Graham is building. But I would say the one thing that, you know, maybe you wish would have gone better uh, is seeing a little bit more of a steady and consistent improvement uh, and progression throughout even this uh, abridged season. 
Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. You know, and I've I've been less than complimentary of the offense at times, and it's been different folks stepping up at different times, different different folks struggling at times for this team. But but I think that's that's the most frustrating part, right? And and I know Coach Todd Graham, he's expressed it basically in the post game press conferences. Uh, it feels the same way where that consistency that you point to is the the thing that they are searching for, right? Finding that identity, that rhythm on offense, finding that consistency on defense as well, because we've seen some, some really good players have good moments with this team, right? There are some studs on that offense. Some of the guys on defense are playmakers. And, and so you've, you've got pieces and they've got a bit of uh, a bit of promise. And, and so it's, it's a matter of, of piecing that together and, and finding a way to repeat that, game to game and quite honestly quarter to quarter with yeah. this group and, and, and you know as a coaching staff I know they're banging their heads against the wall trying to figure that out um and uh you know I'm excited I'm excited to see this team one last time crossing our fingers right we don't want to uh, count our chickens yet but uh, hopefully one last time to maybe put together a four-quarter game all right well to the victor go the spoils right and so San Jose State after the game uh took to Twitter to troll Hawaii a little bit. The San Jose State football Twitter account touting the victory said, you can't spell Honolulu without the L's. So that was a little shade. Well, a lot of shade maybe thrown back on Hawaii. What would you think about that move by the Spartans Twitter account? I, I got a good chuckle out of it. I got a good chuckle out of it, right? <laughs> and I know some folks here were, were, were peeved, right? Rub them the wrong way. Hey, act like you've been there before, San Jose. They haven't really necessarily had five and oh six and oh starts right i mean they're they're well on their way to play get a conference championship game brent brennan has done a really good job yeah it's one of those things right it's like look brent brennan doesn't run that twitter account none of the players run that twitter account uh and somebody in sort of the sports media department there at san jose state likely runs that twitter account and it's clever it's clever right it, they got good graphics uh take the L and all those kinds of things. And so is it bulletin board material for the next time they play? Absolutely. Are you fueling the fire the next time you got to see these guys, whether it's in San Jose or at Aloha Stadium next year, we'll, we'll find out how they adjust the schedules following this season. But in, in, the, in the meantime, it's like, yeah, what are you, what are you going to say? Right. They, they came down to beat you. They beat you pretty good. And so because of that, you got to kind of, you got to kind of swallow your medicine. I mean, hopefully Hawaii will have an opportunity to, shoot back at them maybe next year or the year after and uh they can say you know you can't spell santa clara county without an l either that will be the hope uh, for hawaii uh, but that said you're right you know it's one of those things where it's not in the best interest of anybody on the side of the university of hawaii to respond but it's something that wouldn't hurt to maybe keep in the back of your mind as a little added motivation when you're gearing up to play the spartans uh in oncoming seasons uh, all right so we move on to the UH basketball team, they've got next. In fact, both the men's and the women's basketball programs announced today that they are going to have non-conference games this week. The UH men on Friday are going to take on Hawaii Pacific University, PacWest member, NCAA Division II program here on Oahu. Uh, the women, the Wahine, are going to be taking on HPU on Sunday. There has not been any kind of announcement until today about non-conference action for Hawaii. It seems as though this is about what we're going to get, maybe another game or two against other local programs, uh, but probably not anything in the way of traveling to the continent or having a team come from the continent here. Uh, so what do you think about the start of University of Hawaii basketball? 
Yeah, it's like uh, the state championship games, right? We, we got uh, Hawaii Pacific and the University of Hawaii doing battle there in Manoa. Like, we, we figured this was going to be the only shot, really, for either the men's or women's programs to get some games in before the start of Big West Conference play, unless they were going to just take take the teams and set up shop someplace on the mainland and just take it as a, you know, a barnstorming tour of trying to pick up games. And that really was going to be, you know, fiscally probably not feasible and logistically just a nightmare to figure all that out, right? And trying to make sure that you are ready and healthy to start Big West Conference play, because that's what the season comes down to, no doubt about it. So do you jeopardize that by, by hitting the road and going to the mainland? Nobody's going to fly here. We know that uh, at this point. So it's HPU, right? It's HPU. It's an opportunity for these programs for the University of Hawaii. It's a great opportunity for HPU as well, because they're looking at playing a very, very truncated schedule on the men's side, for sure. And maybe even on the women's side, we talked to Coach Eric Bovert, the Chaminade head coach last week. And he said, you know, they basically have like six games scheduled against HPU, six games scheduled against Hawaii Hilo, and then the Pac West Conference tournament. Uh, so any games that the Sharks can get in is going to be good for them. And then for the University of Hawaii, like you take what you can get, right? Any sort of, these are tune-up games as you get ready for the conference tournament. It's better than nothing, that's for sure. Yeah, I think the only concern is the requirement, right? There's a minimum of 13 games against Division One opponents required for teams to be eligible for the NCAA tournament this year in men's basketball. The maximum amount of games is 27, but the key is how many Division I games you have. And what we're seeing as far as the, the pandemic trends in California and uh, some of the safety guidelines and restrictions being ramped up in certain areas, uh, once Hawaii gets into Big West Conference play, uh, where they're going to be playing against California teams oftentimes on the road, uh, you wonder if any of those games are going to be impacted. And so it's, it's supposed to be a 20-game conference schedule but if you have any of those games canceled if you get below that 13 game minimum requirement now you're talking about not being eligible for the tournament so I think that's the only thing that you're kind of continually going to be crossing your fingers over uh, and and that would have been really the the main motivation for Hawaii to see if they could schedule division one non-conference opponents uh, but it just wasn't in the cards I think logistically from an expense standpoint in this very unique year uh, it just wasn't something that the University of Hawaii both men and women's programs could pull off and it's likely they're going to see a similar challenge when it comes to men's and women's volleyball and and, and you know the other arena sports uh, as we move through uh, the expected University of Hawaii athletic year. Now, as for the men, they're not going to have one of their key returning players. Senior Samuta Avea, the team's top returning scorer, averaged 10 points per game last year, announced that he was opting out this season. Did suggest that he would be back with the team next season, but as you know, things can change awfully fast in this very transfer-happy world of college basketball these days. So it means sophomore Justin Webster is the team's top returning scorer, uh, scorer now, averaging 8.8 .8 points per game last year. How big of a loss is Samuta? It's big. It's big. You know, we, we talk about his scoring. Uh, you mentioned, you know, obviously – being that experience coming back, but, but it's also arguably their, their most versatile and athletic defender, right? Especially on the wing. Uh, and, and that's a huge loss as well. You totally understand, um, you know, his reasoning for, for opting out of this season and, and you can't blame him one bit, but it's a lot of leadership on this team. It's a lot of familiarity with what coach Aron Gannat, Chris Gerlofsson, what that staff uh, is expectant of their players, especially for a group that's bringing in a lot of new talent, a lot of new faces uh, with a challenged and truncated sort of lead up to a season. Uh, having a veteran like Samuta, who's got a ton of experience on that team, a ton of experience playing with playing time on that team, 
uh, losing his leadership, his guidance to get some of those guys sort of up to speed, integrated, is going to be a big deal. All right, elsewhere in college hoops, this was a strange thing to watch, but the 2020 Maui Invitational was held last week, and Texas uh, claimed the championship. It was the Maui Invitational held in Asheville, North Carolina. The Longhorns took down North Carolina, interestingly enough, in the final. Matt Coleman dropped 22 in the championship game. Uh, He was named the tournament MVP. I mean, it was a strange thing to see this signature Maui event played on the other side of the country, right, basically on the East Coast. Uh, out of declared necessity due to the COVID pandemic and travel restrictions and just all of the logistical challenges there. Uh, But tournament officials are claiming victory that the bubble, so to speak, that they set up there in Asheville can serve as a blueprint for the NCAA tournament, which it was announced would be held in a single location, likely Indianapolis. Uh, So take me through your Maui Invitational experience. You're a guy who has been very intimately involved with that tournament over the years. Uh, It is something that harkens back to your childhood days and your experience at Lahaina Civic Center. So watching this play out, how did it make you feel? And and what do you think about perhaps the blueprint that may be applied here for a much bigger endeavor, which is the NCAA tournament? It was weird. (laughs) It was strange seeing that tournament, right? The scenic shots of the, of the mountains there in, in Appalachia and, in, in Asheville, North Carolina, you, you got the, the Bill Walton show. You still got that. Uh, it was a little bit of an empty feeling, kind of waking up on that Monday before Thanksgiving and realizing, hey, the tournament wasn't going to be here this week, and then realizing, oh, the tournament's actually next week anyway, uh, and still seeing it on TV. It was, it was strange, odd, no doubt about it. But I, I will say, I thought they did a pretty darn good job from the folks at Kemper Lesnick of just setting up. The, the court looked more or less like the court at the Lahaina Civic Center, the colors, the signage. Uh, you know, you still had Chaminade across the court. You still had Maui along the baselines, uh, just the way the, the, the coloring of the hardwood uh, also looked reminiscent of the Lahaina Civic Center. ESPN, they still showed scenic shots of Lahaina and Maui, and you could see, you know, Lanai and Moloka'i across the channels, and, and you got some of the updates in there mixed in as well. Uh, so, so from a from a Maui standpoint for that thing being thousands of miles away, you know, I thought they did a pretty good job. And then quite honestly, when you look at the rest of the, the non-conference tournaments, the, the non-conference events going on, I mean, they had tournaments at like a, a community college in Florida. Uh, they're doing these things at, you know, the Mohegan sun in Connecticut in Indianapolis of all those tournaments from a competition standpoint from a success standpoint of just keeping everybody insulated and and you know limiting the amount of positive tests like the Maui Invitational to me seemed like they did the best job uh, of insulating of keeping that bubble working I mean even some of the events like with Gonzaga and Baylor and some of those other big name events uh, over the course of three days eight teams in one location uh, to have that thing go off without a hitch I I think they do deserve quite a bit of credit Um, and I think you know, again, eight teams, that's as big as anybody attempted to really pull off in the first couple of weeks of the college basketball season and to have pulled it off arguably the best. Uh, I think, you know, the NCAA can, can really take a lot from it uh, and, and really maybe follow some of those blueprints once we get to that massive, you know, 64-68 team extravaganza in Indianapolis come March. Yeah, I mean, considering how gutted the whole preseason tournament thing was this year right I mean to see how many tournaments uh, had gotten canceled because of the pandemic including the Diamond Head Classic a signature uh, tournament that's uh, hosted by the University of Hawaii I mean to see 
all of those fall by the wayside, I think it was still uh, something to be regarded, the fact that the Maui Invitational was just held. I could have done a little bit without the uh, you know, play-by-play announcer Roy Philpot and his very cheap-looking ABC store Aloha shirt and even like the cheap-looking ABC store lay and also wearing the sunglasses. Like, Maui Jim wasn't even the sponsor this year. What are you wearing the sunglasses for? I could have done without that. But my man Corey Alexander, who I've worked with, uh, many times, including at the Diamond Head Classic aforementioned, uh, his beard stole the show, man. That He said he did not trim his beard or shave his beard since the season uh, abruptly ended because of the pandemic last year, like in March. And so uh, his beard was, was one that would make a bearded guy like me very envious and jealous. So I think his beard should have been the tournament most outstanding player. All right, we switch gears to the water and the World Surf League season getting underway in the islands this week. The Maui Pro on the women's tour fired up on Monday at Honolulu Bay. Uh, today's action, interestingly enough, got called off after a recreational surfer, a man in his 50s, was attacked by a shark near Honolulu Bay. He's in stable condition, happy to report, but the contest was suspended until further notice. 2020, right? Go figure. And then on Oahu's North Shore, the Billabong Pipe Masters is on. And so while we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, uh, those heats are rolling through. But I think one of the main plots of the Billabong Pipe Masters is the fact that it marks the return of two-time world champ John John Florence uh, out the last year because of a knee injury. But because the WSL was basically postponed, uh, he didn't really miss any action, uh, at least significant action. And so uh, we had WSL CEO Eric Logan as a guest on this podcast. Well, he told us back in April that the tour was postponing events, revamping its schedule to begin in Hawaii. So now that that time is here, how are you liking the way this year's tour, you know, without the shark interruptions, uh, how these tours are kicking off? Yeah, our guy, our guy Elo, as we like to call him. Uh, it, it's amazing. It is amazing that they laid out this plan back in April and, and Eric, talk to us about it on, on this podcast. And the fact that it came to fruition, like the fact that they actually pulled this off, you know, what, eight months later on schedule is crazy to me. Like the fact that, that, that they're being able to do this. And of course, the, the shark incident today throws a bit of wrench into that. And hopefully they can get back in the water tomorrow and, and complete the, um, the Maui Pro for the women. Uh, but it, I, I like I really like this. You know, you're 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 kind of you know sort of what NASCAR did with starting the season at Daytona. You know, you start at Pipe for the men, you start at Honolulu for the women, you start in Hawaii, the birthplace of surfing. For all those reasons, the waves were firing yesterday at Honolulu, and you can see why there were a lot of recreational surfers trying to get in the water early this morning uh, before the before the pros got out there trying to trying to catch some of that swell wrapping around the west side of Maui. It, I think it's a great idea. I, I think it works really well, and I think. You know, obviously safety being paramount, but if they can con- conclude these events and, and kick off their season this way, it, it's, I think it's terrific, and, and it's a real nice sort of launching pad for, for this edition of the WSL season. All right, time now for our Domino's Hawaii main topping, and it is our interview with Cameron Fernandez. Uh, she comes out of Lahaina Luna as one of the most accomplished Maui basketball players, two-time uh, Maui Player of the Year, went on to play initially at Washington State and then on to Alaska Anchorage. Uh, but she is now speaking very openly about 
her battle with mental health and specifically depression and it took her down some very dark paths and in fact uh, she has admitted uh, that she twice attempted suicide and it wasn't really until her dad and other members of her family were able to reach her that she was able to begin her recovery from that and she's in a, a really great place now uh, and so that journey is something that uh, she has been publicizing uh, and she is hoping that that can do some good. And so without any further ado, let's go play uh, our conversation with Cameron. Hey, what's up, Cameron? How you doing? Thanks for uh, making time to talk story with us. We appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great talking with you. And, um, you know, it's been really interesting reading in the Maui News and the article written by Rob Coleus about your story. And I think it's uh, been a tremendous example of, of bravery and courageousness to, to come forward and talk so openly about something that affects so many people and I think can really do a lot of good uh, when it comes to other people that maybe wouldn't have the audacity to speak out about this or, or to talk openly and ask and seek help uh, when it comes to elements of mental health and depression. But uh, before we kind of go into past events, I wanted to just ask you what uh, life is like on an everyday basis for you right now? Like, where are you talking to us from and, and what are you up to? Well, I'm currently in my house in Pukalani. I actually just got off of work. Um, I work as an RBT. So I work with kids who have autism and other intellectual disabilities, just kind of giving them dip different interventions to um, help them speak, communicate, um, uh, do better with school and whatnot. So I love it because I love kids. Um, and I also work part-time at Sugar Beach, so we do big wedding and corporate events as well. Oh, wow. Uh, working with kids, how much has, have you found that to be uh, an area that, that is really rewarding for you? Well, I've, ever since I was young, for whatever reason, I've always gravitated towards kids. So that's what I majored in social work, because I really wanted to help kids who were um, privileged, underprivileged and victims of abuse and neglect. Um, so I'm actually really glad I landed this job because I got, got my foot in the door now. Um, and every day working with these kids, they come with smiles on their faces, give you good <laughs> energy, and it just makes me motivated to work, you know? Oh, that's awesome. That's great. And, and yeah. in, this, in this time, right, in a very strange 2020 year, uh, especially from the, the, the perspective of kids growing up in these times, uh, any kind of, of help, any kind of guidance, I think is great. So uh, your work is much appreciated. Um, I do want to just ask, because we mentioned that article that came out in the Maui News and, and how you've talked openly about your experiences. What has been the motivation behind that? Why have you chosen now to speak uh, so openly and so candidly about your experience? Well, I feel like here in Hawaii, I don't feel as though mental health is talked about enough. So I felt that I could use my story to kind of help reach other people who are struggling like um, behind doors as well, like how I was. And more so being that person I needed while I was struggling instead of the people who hurt me. So kind of just turning something negative into a positive experience that um, a lot of people can not only relate, but learn from as well. Yeah, and Cameron, uh, I think that's incredibly commendable of you. Uh, I mean, if you can kind of just give us a, a sense of what this journey has been like for you to get to this point where you are, you know, doing much better and, and openly talk about that. But you know, when when did this sort of all began and uh, begin for you uh, as this, you know, kind of kind of rough journey has been? Yeah, it's been a really rocky journey to say the least. 
Um, and at first I was never comfortable with talking about it. Like when I was first diagnosed with depression, um, I kind of kept that to myself. It was even hard telling my own dad that I like, look, hey, the teen doctor was diagnosed with depression. Um, I was on the phone with him for literally an hour crying. He thought I was pregnant. <laughs> Lo and behold, I was just trying to tell him that I um, was depressed and I was struggling. And that was just so hard for me to do. But over time, as I began to accept it, that I was struggling and learning different ways, not only cope with it, but knowing that I'm not alone, because obviously hearing other people's stories as well is a huge help. Um, then I slowly got more and more comfortable talking about it. And now whenever somebody asks me about it, I'm more than more than open to share. Yeah, what did you sort of find uh, along the way uh, as you battled through this? Uh, you know, who, who was sort of instrumental in, in helping you get over some of those big hurdles? Ooh, my father, my academic advisor, her name is Teresa Exum from Washington State, and my younger sister, definitely. Um, and I say that because they were the ones kind of at the forefront doing the most for me, um, whether it was setting me up with therapists, finding different ways that, or different medications I could take because antidepressants weren't working for me, whether it's just having that person with me when I am struggling um, and I am crying and I just need somebody there with me when I do have those breakdowns. Um, instead of, like I said, isolating yourself and feeling alone. Um, but it was even hard on them because there were so many times where I just pushed away that help almost every single time but up until really recently and that's why I've taken such a huge leap when it came to my mental health because I was now accepting of help instead of constantly just pushing it away. Yeah and it's I, I think something that needs to be acknowledged just how much you know mental health is very much like any kind of physical health injury or any kind of event it affects not just the person it affects everyone around yes. that person the family the the network of friends uh you know workmates uh, and so uh, it's something that's ever expansive for sure uh, i do kind of want to rewind and, and sort of set a little bit of the the background story for people that are listening so uh you are a two-time player of the year uh, on the island of maui at lahaina luna fantastic career you you go on to washington state uh, you seem to point at an incident that occurred your freshman year, a collision that happened on the court playing against Arizona State as an integral part of the origin of some of this depression and some of the challenges mm -hmm. and battles with mental health that you talk about. Is that the true origin of it? Did you ever feel any of these kinds of feelings prior to that? No, I did not. Um, so that's why a lot of the doctors I've even talked to as well about the same thing because when you do have serious head traumas such as those um it can lead to suicidal and depressive thoughts okay so yeah what did you learn about that as far as what that that collision that that injury so to speak what that did to you and and what it really did kind of to your mind um well at first it kind of just started off with small intrusive thoughts so i would be i would come home for summer right I would always be happy to come home, finally get some sun. Um, but I'll be driving and all of a sudden, I think of driving the car off the cliff or I'm walking across the street and I'm just hoping like in the back of my head, like a car comes and hits me. But at that time when they first started, I didn't really know what they were. So I didn't know how to deal with it. So I kind of just pushed into the side like, oh, okay, like that's nothing, yada, yada, yeah. And as time went on, they slowly, slowly started getting worse and worse and worse. And so I hit one of my lowest points 
at Washington State, you know, I stopped going to classes. I was lying. I was being deceitful. Um, I wasn't doing any of my schoolwork. Um, I was isolating myself from even my teammates who I love to be around. Um, and like I said, even in the article, I stopped eating. I stopped drinking water just because I was struggling so bad that it came to a point where I wanted to like physically harm myself, but I didn't want people to think that I'm doing it to myself. So if I were to, you know, pass away, it would have been from like dehydration or like starvation or whatever, something like of a natural cause, because to me, that was a sign of weakness for me, like reaching out for help saying, hey, I'm struggling. And I didn't, I didn't like that at all back then. Uh, there were two times where you said you attempted suicide. Um... Give us a, a, a glimpse or an idea as to just kind of that feeling as, as being as low as you ever have been and, and what that was like for you. Your mind plays these games on you and it kind of forces you to believe that nobody cares about you, that you're a burden, um, to not reach out for help because, like I said, nobody cares. Um, so when I was at that low point, I didn't even care what my family would have felt like if I were to pass away. That pain that comes with losing a child or losing a sibling. Because you're so, just so caught up in yourself and in your own thoughts that you kind of just want to silence it all. And you don't really know how else to do that, but to take yourself out. So that's the point that I was at, at those old times. And the second time was um, when I was in Alaska. That's when I overdosed on my um, Adderall pills. And, and Cameron, you know, as a, as a, collegiate athlete, a division one athlete. Um, there's so many other demands that go along and, and it's that demands so much of your time, your attention. Uh, what, what kind of structures or outlets did you feel like were there for you in support of you from, from a mental health standpoint? And, you know, I mean, there, there's the training room and things like that for, for ankle sprains and things of that nature. But, but did you feel like th there was an opportunity for you to, to seek that help once you did feel like you needed to go ahead and, and, and search that out? Absolutely. Um, and you know, when you first get on the campus, they tell you about all the resources as well. But for me during that time, although I was talking to a therapist and I was taking antidepressants, none of that was working for me. So I kind of lost hope. And that's when I started to give up even on myself and then started enacting you know, self-destructive behaviors. Like I said, I'm not going to class, starving myself or um, plagiarizing or, you know, whatever the case may be, especially when it comes to school. Um, but those resources were handed to me. I just don't think I was in this space or mentally to make the full use of them because I was so uh, not willing to accept help, like I said, um, because even in therapy, like, I didn't even want to cry in front of my therapist. And I would hold a lot of stuff in. I wouldn't even be making the most out of therapy. So I would going still feeling like crap and then leaving feeling the same way or even worse at times as well. Yeah. And, and, and then you make the move to Alaska and, and, you know, try and um, take the next step in your basketball career at that point And, and you suffer through another leg injury. Uh, did, did, did that ha play a role as well in, in uh, sort of the struggles that, that you dealt with oh, once you, you got definitely. to Anchorage as well? Most definitely, because I finally felt like I was on a high rise. I'm like, look, okay, everything's going good for me. You know, I get another opportunity to play ball. And then boom, just another thing knocks me down. So uh, 
I was going into that season two feeling great. I was in some pretty good shape. Um, I picked up on uh, the defensive uh, expectations pretty quickly from them as well. Um, and we we're actually just about to go off and play Duke. That was our first official scrimmage. And next thing you know, that kind of ruined the whole entire season. So that was even a bigger blow for me to find out that the whole season was going to be washed because I was, that was something I was really looking forward to and that I had such high expectations for. So when you look back on it now, um, what was the, the overbearing feeling or pressure that you underwent that resembles or that you can identify as, okay, that was, that was depression. Obviously, the, the thoughts of your own mortality and not really worrying about that or the impact of that. But did it feel, was it more like you weren't living up to a, a certain expectation for yourself? Was it more that you felt like you were letting people down? Or what, what kind of, what was one of the, the common traits of, of that, that whole battle for you? I think it would definitely be letting people down, especially when it came to my family, because I knew how proud my dad was of me making it to college and, you know, even just getting some playing time in college, because that's huge, especially as a freshman. Um, so when those things did start to happen, and I noticed that even when I would walk into class, I would have tears just in my eyes, just wanting to just fully break down. And that's when I noticed like something was like really wrong here. Like I've never felt like this before. <clears throat> um, and obviously it doesn't help when you don't have any motivation to go to class. You don't have any motivation to do work. So now you know in the back of your head, oh, I'm failing classes. Oh, my coach is gonna find out. Then boom, you get, um, uh, suspended from the team because you're not doing well in school. So it's one thing after another, after another. It's like a downward spiral, basically. And all those stresses just keep adding on and on and on and on. And it's like it doesn't stop because you don't know how to make it stop. Even though you don't want to be failing classes, you don't want to be letting your dad down. It's like you can't even bring yourself to, to do those things that you need to do. And that was the most frustrating part for me. You know, it's, uh, I, I haven't talked much about this, but uh, I've experienced some elements of depression myself and have, have, have gone through some therapy. Uh, and there are feelings where it's like you're underwater. It just, it feels yes. like you're underwater and, and you're, you're in need of somebody to reach down and grab you or some life preserver to be within reach. So what was that for you? Who reached you? How did they get to you? And, and, and when did that process of sort of, being able to lift your head out of the water begin? Mm -hmm. So that person would have definitely been my father. Um, and that is because he never stopped. Like, whether it was doing his own research and finding what depression is and what can help, um, he found that this uh, medicine called ketamine was actually being used to treat depression. And like I said, once those antidepressants weren't working for me, I'm like, no, like I'm not trying any medication anymore. Like, like I said, I just gave up on myself. But I remember when I came home um, and I had a serious breakdown here. And that's when he kind of saw firsthand how bad it really was because he'd never seen me like that. And um, I'm like, okay, look, obviously what I'm doing is not working. So why not just try something else? Um, and at first I was actually very hesitant and I wasn't expecting to get any good out of it. I was just doing it just for the hell of it and just 
because my dad kept pushing it on me like, no, Cam, I think you should, no, Cam, I think you should. Um, so I appreciate him <laughs> doing that for sure. <laughs> and after my first three treatments of ketamine, that's when I first saw um, a slight uprise. So I, those uh, intrusive thoughts slowly started going away. Um, I started having motivation to go out to do things I love, like whether it's going to the beach or hanging out with friends and not just constantly being in my room, isolated to myself, not wanting to talk to anybody. Um, but like I said, even after that, even after Uprise, it was still a pretty rocky road. But before I went to Alaska, I felt like I was in a good headspace. But like I said, after my injuries and stuff, that just blew me right to the ground again. Yeah, and, and just knowing your dad a little bit from sort of the basketball scene on my, I mean, he was, he was always sort of there. You were always sort of alongside him. Uh, as you grew up and, and, and played basketball. But what's that relationship like now? As you mentioned, he was sort of the guy that helped helped pull you up. But what's, what's the dynamic now with, with you and your dad, Mark? We're best friends, basically. Um, ever since I was a kid, I've always been a daddy's girl. So I've always literally been right by his side. Um, so we definitely have a very strong connection. And even now, like, he'll be, like, outside rebuilding the balcony, I'll be right there with him, helping, you know, things I feel like girls don't typically do. <laughs> or like outside mowing the lawn, I'll help him with some yard work or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, I feel like we have a definitely very good relationship. And this, I'm thankful for depression in a way because I've not only learned so much about myself, but my relationship with my father has gotten a lot more open as well um, and more transparent with one another. Um, especially when it, pertains to emotions because how I was raised with him is kind of all he was like the tough guy so I was always kind of brought up to not really show emotions like that or kind of like to to shelter him in a way um and you know crying was always ingrained in me that was like kind of a sign of weakness and only little girls cry and whatnot but now I think that made him realize that that wasn't the right way to go about it as well so he learned a lot this experience for me and I've learned a lot about myself as well so there's a lot of positive that actually came out of it through all the negative that I went through um, and it's good that I'm able to realize that now because while you're in that time you don't see any of that all you see is just the bad mm -hmm. what, what role does basketball have in your life currently um, I do help train kids when I can um, Mikey Tejada she runs her own heads up basketball and you know i go there every so often just to help her out and whatnot but other than that i just play for fun and that's about it how much fun do you get out of it oh i still love it every time i step <laughs> on the court my adrenaline starts going and i'm ready to go and uh now i use that as a um, stress reliever and when i was in that dark time not even basketball was even relieving me of any stress or working out like how i usually would in music all my Things I would usually use to relieve my stress or to cope with um, the bad things I'm going through throughout my daily life weren't working. Um, so I knew I was on the right track when those things finally started giving me some um, pleasure again, definitely. So do those invasive thoughts, as you referred to them, do they ever creep back in from time to time? And what have you learned as far as exercises or disciplines that you apply uh, to try to, to tame those or, or stem the tide, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely still do come in. Um, I still have my bad days. Um, 
but now I notice my triggers. I notice when I am on the decline. So now I can get ahead of it before it getting ahead of me and putting me in a dark space again. Um, and when I do start feeling like that, I make sure to make an effort to go to the beach or go on a hike or go um, reach out to some friends to hang out with. And Mikey is one of the people that I do usually hang out with most. Um, so just things like that, keeping myself busy definitely helps. And obviously now that I have a job, um, something that I can feel proud of myself is a huge help because I know that I am doing something good. It's very rewarding for me. Like you said, it's a very rewarding job. So um, things like that. And I definitely feel now that I'm more self-aware of what I am thinking as well. So I notice my thoughts. And once I do start noticing it, I give myself those positive affirmations and I'm quick to cut it off and not just let it keep going and going and going. Talking with Cameron Fernandez, what has been the response uh, since the story written by Rob Coleus was published as you have talked more openly about this? What kind of feedback have you received and, and what is your hope as far as the impact that that telling of that story may, may have? I've had an out for just positive feedback, just people reaching out, thanking me for sharing my story because they've been struggling um, behind closed doors for so long. And it's just like a breath of fresh air to hear that somebody else is going through the same thing as well. And like I said, I don't feel like it's talked about much here in Hawaii. So I do feel like the impact was pretty huge, especially in, in the Maui County area where you know, it's, it's so small. So everybody kind of knows everybody. Um, but there's just been so much love being shown and I, I am completely grateful and thankful for it all because I honestly did not think that many people would care about my story, you know what I mean? So it was actually kind of like shocking to me at first. I'm like, whoa, like, I can't believe this many people can relate and I can't believe this many people are, you know, learning from my mistakes and what I did wrong or, you know, just uh, being motivated just on a story based off of uh, all the, uh, adversity I have to go through. So it's, it's been honestly phenomenal. It's been great. Yeah, add, add us to the list of uh, those that are thankful to you for, for sharing <laughs> that story for sure. Uh, you, you mentioned Mikey. Uh, she, she was really good in her playing day as well. She's doing some great stuff working with the kids uh, in the community. Of course, she went on to play in Gonzaga. Uh, you were part of that team uh, with, you know, Mia Hafoka who went and played at San Jose State and Kilia Kaloi who played at the University of Hawaii. Um, it, your teams were really, really good <laughs> to, to start off. But, but what is that um, dynamic like? Uh, I know you guys are a pretty tight-knit community, to say the least, out there in Lahaina, but also the group of, of a Lahaina Luna alums that uh, I know you still uh, keep in touch with. But uh, what's, what's, uh, what's the friend group looking like these days? Uh, do you guys sort of reminisce back a little bit uh, on some of those times? Oh my goodness, yes. But it's mostly reminiscing on Coach Todd's running, he would put us to just, oh my goodness. He would run us to the ground, that guy. It was crazy. It was crazy. So you look back at it now and you laugh about those practices. You just run all day and not even touch the ball. Um, all the punishments he would put us through, uh, just stuff like that. So it's definitely good to sit back and reflect. Because in that moment, you're like, oh my goodness, like, what am I putting myself through? Like, am I really built for this? <laughs> like, I should just cut it off now. Um, but we joke about that all the time. I still keep in touch with Coach Todd as well. I go to um, their Lahana Luna games when I can, when I can catch them, the Menehuni games. Uh, so we definitely all stay pretty closely connected and I'm always with Mikey out in Lahaina just kicking it at her place 
um, like I said, helping the kids when I can. So it's honestly, it's been amazing. So does, does Mikey make her kids run all the time as well while she's doing the workouts? Or? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's more so like fundamentals and more so like one-on-one, building your one-on-one repertoire of uh, different moves, different uh, coming off screens, all kinds of stuff. And she's an amazing, amazing trainer. And the kids are honestly blessed to have her. Well, yours is a survival story. It really is. And, and I think uh, what you've expressed to us, what you've expressed in the telling of your story is just how strong a family you have. Uh, and I think that's the thing for a lot of people who go through some of those, some of that type of adversity. Uh, it's hard to remember that there is that strong support system there. Sometimes it's not easy to see. What would be maybe the, the piece of advice you would give to someone that might be experiencing some of those feelings or invasive thoughts and, or, or, and, and maybe not sure exactly what to do about it? I would say find a person you are comfortable with, definitely, because it's always easier to share when you know that the person is not going to look at you in a judgmental way. Um, and anybody's more than welcome to always reach out to me for that kind of thing as well, because like I, for me, it was always easier for me to reach out to people who I knew who could relate. Um, because I always felt as though like people who didn't really go through those mental health issues had a hard time fully grasping somebody like getting so low that they actually do want to take their life or cause physical harm to themselves or know um, when a person is acting out in their self-destructive behaviors, what that actually means for that person. Because on the outside looking in, you could see me as a person like I was in my, when I was really low, lying, stealing, doing bad in class you could just say like oh well she's a bad kid from the outside looking in but when you look deeper into it there's just so much more going on with that person than what is actually shown and that was my way of crying out for help but like I said it it gave the wrong message it gave the message that oh well she doesn't want to be here in school she can't do it in college um, she would rather go and be disobedient than follow what rules we have here when that wasn't the case at all so I would say um, find somebody you're comfortable with or somebody who can relate. Definitely do not, do not, do not be afraid to reach out and show some vulnerability because like I always say, there's strength in vulnerability. And when a person can see how much you've gone through and where you are now and how far you've come, they look at you in a totally different light and a totally different perspective. And that just, that's kudos to you, how strong you are to see that you're still here and you're still going every day, no matter what mental challenges or um, family matters is going on in your life, you're still here and you're still pushing it and you're still doing your thing. And that is a huge accomplishment in itself, honestly. Well, again, yours is a survival story. I think it's also a story of redemption and, and how you have turned this thing around and have changed the paradigm to where now you are helping perhaps others and, and perhaps you're gonna be able to inspire other survival stories. Thank you, Cameron. It's been really well, thank you. awesome talking with you. It's been awesome talking with you guys as well. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Cameron Fernandez. A wonderful story. She's, she seems like she's uh, in a really, really positive place. She has, is a shining example of just what can be overcome. And so we're very proud to have uh, been able to talk with her about that. That does lead us to our post game, though. And our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. 
Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. All right, what do you want to start with, Jordan? Best or worst? You lead us off. Let's go best here to kick things off. Uh, we talked about the Maui Invitational earlier and, and sort of keeping that connection to Maui. Uh, one of the awesome things that I thought uh, Maui Invitational, one-year sponsorship with Camping World made sense. They were in Appalachia um, before they go back to the Maui Gym Maui Invitational next year. Uh, they had this three-for-three promotion, $3,000 donated by Camping World for every three-point shot made in the tournament to sort of support causes in each school's local areas among the eight participating schools. And they also included the Maui community as sort of the ninth local area they supported. They, they raised over $81,000 to the Maui Food Bank, which they would be donating here shortly. I thought that was terrific. 81 grand to the Maui Food Bank. The tournament wasn't even here in Lahaina. And just kudos to Camping World, uh, Kemper Lesnick, the tournament for, for still including Maui in all of this, including some of the charitable efforts. Uh, all right, my best, uh, Hercules Mata'afa. You know, we talked with a Lahaina Luna alum, Cameron Fernandez, as the guest on this podcast. Uh, another Lahaina Luna alum, Herc Mata'afa, former Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year at Washington State. He's been turning it on for the Vikings in recent weeks. The D-tackle who was signed by Minnesota as a free agent after surprisingly not getting drafted in 2018 has had to deal with quite a bit of adversity in his young career Suffered a torn ACL his rookie year, played half the season last year, but was effectively benched after week seven. Bulked up in anticipation of this his third season, but was then released by the team in October. Now that prompted some ill-willed responses from Herc on social media. Alas, he was only a few days later re-signed to the practice squad, and then earlier this season he got his shot was placed on the active roster, and really, Jordan, he hasn't looked back. He had a split sack, three tackles, a QB hit, and Minnesota's overtime win over the Jaguars this past weekend, and he's been doing that kind of stuff with regularity. It's a great story. Some more redemption from a Lahaina Luna athlete. Uh, this Maui guy is uh, starting to show why he certainly belongs in the NFL. He's got, he's got a unique skill, right? He can, he can create pressure. He can rush the passer, and it, it, since he was in high school when he was at Washington State no matter where you lined him up on the defensive line and now he's getting a chance he really seems to fit in Mike Zimmer's system there in Minnesota and they found ways to get him on the field particularly on third down and any any excuse you get to say one bad Mata'afa is a good one and, and he is he is showing that he could stick it that that Vikings team might make the playoffs here in this expanded <laughs> field so watch out yeah, yeah. No, he, he, he decided, you know what, he was going to put on some muscle, bulk up, and I think it served him well, certainly, uh, in that particular defense. All right, Jordan, what's your worst? Yeah, my worst in this. So I, I complained about or lamented about the Cubs losing Theo Epstein a few episodes <laughs> ago, their, their longtime president of baseball operations. And I, I, I braced myself. There were going to be wholesale changes. The roster was going to look a lot different. Uh, some, some, some legends with the Cubs team, especially off that World Series win four years ago, uh, were probably going to be gone. The one thing I wasn't prepared for, the one thing that I thought would never happen is longtime television play-by-play guy, Len Casper, who to me is one of the best in baseball. And, and I've subscribed to the MLB.TV package the last handful of years, and you get all the Cubs home broadcasts. And so I've gotten very familiar with Len Casper, Jim Deshays is his color guy. I think they're as good a pairing as you will find in baseball. Um, and he's been there for, for over a decade and a half now on the north side. Uh, he, he left. He's leaving the Cubs to go take the radio job with the White Sox. 
he's a guy who there's a lot of romance with with radio and baseball and he said it's been a lifelong dream and the white Sox are giving him this opportunity the cubs have a long time radio guy themselves uh the cubs recently moved over to the marquee sports network which is owned by basically the chicago cubs the ricketts family after being with a whole bunch of other broadcast partners over the years including wgn um and so you expect players to leave canola you expect players to come and go but you don't expect your beloved play-by-play guy to just just up and leave in the offseason to the crosstown white Sox. to the white Sox, he's leaving that this i thought chris bryant maybe might be leaving if anthony rizzo leaves i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw a fit um but eventually those guys have to retire and those guys but like announcers they're supposed to be with you for for generations and, and len casper again to me i'm biased whatever He's one of the best in the biz. He's done Fox national broadcasts. It, him leaving. I, I am, I'm a little lost. I'm not going to lie. All right. Uh, my worst is much more trivial than that. Uh, below deck drama. Yes, I said below deck drama. Uh, Max Gilliam, quarterback for UNLV, was featured earlier this year, this is pre-COVID now, on an episode of the Bravo show Below Deck, a reality show that takes place on a yacht. In the episode, Gilliam is seen with a group of fellow yachters eating sushi off of a female model wearing nothing but large leaves. Now, aside from the symbolic misogyny there, there was nothing in terms of a violation of school or NCAA policy, but Gilliam was reprimanded by head coach Marcus Arroyo, who said the school wasn't aware of the show appearance until this week, and said, quote, our senior leaders need to present conduct that reflects well on the team. So this is my worst because it's just kind of a weird, pretentious look for a college quarterback to be on a yacht eating sushi off of a naked lady. Uh, I also think it's my worst because I'm surprised that anybody in Las Vegas is upset about it. Like, I just thought that's what the training table for UNLV looked like. I thought it would just be models and sashimi, and I thought that's what they would eat as a pregame meal. I just thought it was like that in Vegas, right? Sin City. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't – I guess you got to apologize. You got to put your best foot forward. But, like, is – or a lot of people – this is a trashy reality television <laughs> show. I've never watched any of it, but I, I just – the premise, right? The premise itself. And so just being on the show at all is sort of pretentious in itself, right? And it's, so it's like, of course, they're going to do stupid stuff. Of course, that's what makes people watch. This is why the reality TV model works. Uh, and, yeah, the fact that the, the program that resides in Las Vegas, where I'm sure this is something that you can find in Las Vegas – it's just the, the irony there is, is too funny. They're also the opponent for Hawaii this week. So uh, just an <laughs> added subplot. There you go. 2020, it's, baby. 2020. It's the most national news UNLV football has gotten all season. <laughs> all right. That's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. That's it for us. Thanks again to Cameron Fernandez for being our guest on this episode of the podcast. Thanks to Jordan for letting me back into the fray. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808 if you have any comments or questions. Uh, Looking forward to doing another episode with you again next week, Jordan. Yeah, that was fun. We should do it again sometime. Yeah, let's do it. All right. We'll keep the name as is. (laughs) 